Welcome to the Influence Podcast. My name is Tom Yanni. There has been a shift taking place in social media over the last number of years. Surely you've felt it. We've been shifting away from novelty and glamour towards hard-hitting societal issues that are forcing tough discussions. One of the first major shifts in conversation was the Me Too movement in 2017. It's been followed by Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, Indigenous Reconciliation, and certainly many more discussions, especially amidst a pandemic. Along the way, we've seen societal change and progress driven by the power of communities coming together for united advocacy. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. On one hand, these matters are creating progress and accountability, which is great. On the other hand, we're becoming more divided, stubborn, angry as people engage in what you could call an online food fight, which is amplified by misinformation, which is not so great. It's a tricky time, and there's no one better to unpack these complex topics than Rhea Carey, also known as Coach Carey. Rhea is a three-time certified life coach and motivational speaker who has amazing advice to help with confidence, self-love, and pursuing equality. In today's discussion, we talk about social media activism, cancel culture, and calling people in versus calling them out. Enjoy. So I'm really excited today to be joined by Rhea Carey. We've had the pleasure of having you speak to our team on two separate occasions, and I know that we'll be doing a little bit more of that in the future as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening today that follow you or know you, or you know, you've got quite a vast network. But out of the gate, I just thought it would be nice for either those who don't know you yet or perhaps need a reintroduction. Maybe you can tell everybody listening a little bit about how you got into what you're doing and coaching and why this is important to you. Coaching is something that I'm really passionate about. And so I think that's a great question. A lot of people ask me that. I have also really enjoyed working with uh, the whole team over at the Influence Agency and just the connection with Noah and Jess. So it's it's felt like, you know, working with family. So it's been really great. Thank you. Uh, and I guess that's such a big question. I truly feel that this was always my life purpose, but it was a matter of me taking the steps and going through the journey to truly get there. And I was always the kid who asked a lot of questions, was able to look at things objectively, was not taking things personally. And that really set the foundation and set the tone for my life. And when I was about 27, I'd done events for 10 years and I felt really unfulfilled, which I think is a feeling that a lot of us can relate to when you're just not sure what your purpose is or how to get there, how to tap into it. And that feeling of like, I know there's more that I can do. There's more that I want to do. And I'd heard about coaching and for the first time it felt like, oh, this sounds like this could be me. And I did a lot of research and I called a lot of the schools and I had you know a lot of chats with admissions advisors. And it just sounded like it was connecting all the dots throughout my life. And I decided to follow through. And that was eight years ago. And now I have three certifications in coaching and there was no plan B. There was always the path because once I got into school and started doing the work, it felt like it was fully aligning with who I am and who I want to be and who I was. And have you had any coaches or mentors or people in your life that have helped shape either the way that you approach the work that you do? I'm curious about some of the influences that you've had. In school, you we have a few mentor coaches. So that was always a big place for me to learn and, and really perfect my skills. I think I always had the, the foundations, but when I first started coaching, it really felt like putting a quote, quote, method to the madness, if you will. 
Then throughout my life, I've had a lot of mentors who I maybe don't necessarily would call them mentors, but more (laughs) advisors because we were also friends. And when you're at a level where you're learning and growing from the people around you, then those people also become your mentors. So I had a lot of people in the corporate space that helped me navigate that. Jess was one of the people that I had a lot of questions about, you know, specifically PR and things like that. She was always supportive and helping me with those questions. So I don't have as many specific names, but more I'm always listening and learning. So everyone in some way is an advisor because I'm always just open to learning. And then obviously I think my parents are two big mentors, of course. Just thinking and talking a little bit more about some of the topics that you cover a lot relates to confidence and self-worth and communication, building bridges, and trying to create a better world, really. I'm wondering if there are certain challenges or certain issues that you have found as a commonality amongst the people that you work with. Do you find that there are certain patterns that people get stuck in that you help them break through? Or is it kind of different from one person to the next? I think recognizing the patterns has been one of the tools that allows me to be a really efficient coach. Humans are made up of patterns. We all have a pattern that is specific to us, but we all have patterns that are all relatively similar. When I'm able to identify a person's pattern, then for me, I know exactly what questions I need to ask to sort of support them in getting where they want to go. And with my niche, which has really been confidence, the pattern is always how they talk about themselves, how they talk to themselves, and the words and language they use. And that plays a role in everything, whether that's a job, friendship, romantic, the pattern is always within the language. So for me, I know how to support them. For example, if someone always said sorry, like too, too much, like past the Canadian politeness, to me, that shows me that they're not confident in standing their ground. To me, it tells me that they feel like they take up too much space. And to me, that also shows me that they are undervaluing themselves. But not everyone would pick up on that just because someone says sorry a lot. So for me, the pattern is always within the language. That's really fascinating. And that actually makes a lot of sense. I haven't heard it framed that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that you've accomplished and that you've done is that there's certainly lots of different uh, coaches that exist that their profile doesn't always translate into the digital world. And it seems like one thing you've made a conscious choice towards is to build your own profile online, which has resulted in some really amazing conversations and community. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about how you were able to take the different things that you talk to people about in the real world and translate that into online and lessons and stories that you share with your community. Yeah, I think for me, it was always about authenticity. I never started social pages for social gain. I started them because Instagram started to really become like a website. It was like a landing page. Oh, you're doing something? Let's check to see if you have an Instagram. And now that means if deems if you're legit or not. So that's really why I started it. But then in an effort to be authentic and honest, because it was never about the numbers or the likes or the follows, it was about who can I help? And the one thing that I've learned is that we learn by sharing. Because what someone else might be going through is exactly what someone currently is going through. So then when that person shares, that helps that person. So I wanted to take that approach to my social media, as well as my own struggles and what I've gone through. And as you can see, that's helped me get to where I am today. And another thing that you're not shy about talking about is just issues around the world, right? Like you're, you'll tackle 
challenging topics head on. A lot of people are maybe a little bit scared to talk about certain types of things, but you, you definitely take the opposite approach where you want to address these things head on. And whether that is related to self-love or body image or mental health or mm-hmm. racial or gender equality, things of that nature. And those are obviously hot button issues that create sort of conversational landmines. And I know we've learned from you in terms of how to navigate those types of conversations, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering what types of lessons you've learned for yourself just in talking about all of those types of things amidst a society that is quite polarized. Yeah, it's definitely the one that I struggle with the most because everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but the world of social media has now created a space for people to hate and cancel culture. And those are things I don't necessarily believe in at all. We all make mistakes. We're all learning and growing. And I don't think that just because someone made a mistake that their whole life needs to end you know, within reason. So I try to share things that are facts because facts are harder to argue with. And therefore the arguments can't come towards me because they're not my words, they're not my opinion. I'm just sharing something that speaks to the facts about what is happening. So that's one way I've found to alleviate the quote, quote, haters or the naysayers, uh, as well as sharing you know, why it's important to me. And that has gone over really well. And I think I'm just also honest and authentic about why I'm sharing things and topics that are important to me. I try to share things about everything because all areas deserve attention. And if I can spread more messaging around it by sharing on my Instagram, then it seems like a really simple way to ensure that we are talking about conversations that need to be talked about. So I'm happy to be a leader in that space if I can, for sure. All right. Well, on the topic of leadership, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I know you actually just referenced cancel culture a couple moments ago, and that's another one that I've struggled with a lot in terms of how to make sense of it. Just from the perspective that on one hand, it has exposed certain rot within like sectors of society, which is good Mm. to get rid of. And then on the other hand, like you said, it is seemingly, you know, the ability to just have somebody completely wiped away in an instant also seems a little bit challenging. There's got to be a bit of a middle ground. I tend to live in the middle a little bit and mm-hmm. those polar extremes are, are challenging. And I know that one thing that you talked to us about when we had our own session with the team here was in relation to not pointing fingers and not saying us versus them or me versus you to eliminate that sort of dynamic of conflict and to let people in and to try to have some conversation about it. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of your views on that. Yeah, I think very simply put, my which speaks to my top life value. And so anyone who's followed me or seen me or seen me speak or worked with me, it's lead with love. And how can I embed that into every single thing I do? So that's you know one part, the big pillar, but also calling people in rather than calling people out. And I say this everywhere I go and everyone's like, oh, I didn't think of that. But if I call someone out, regardless of the topic, that person is probably going to dip into anger and shame. Anger and shame are the two most powerful emotions that a human can experience that will leave them there, keep them there, and never want to come back to that conversation. So now I've lost them. That learning opportunity is completely gone. But if I call them in, then that shows them that I actually care about the overall goal and gives them a pathway to get there. And then we're learning and growing and sharing together 
rather than someone feeling like they are being singled out, made fun of, or penalized. So the two big pillars for me are lead with love, calling people in rather than calling people out. And in terms of calling people in, by the way, that should be a trademark. You need to get that trademark <laughs> in it. some way. Working yeah. on it. Okay, good, good. Probably my lawyer emailing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. I'm thinking everybody in their life, you know, whether it is a, a sibling, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a work associate, whatever, everybody has somebody that they may not see eye to eye when it comes to certain societal issues. And I bet a lot of people would like to do just that, would like to call them in instead of calling them out, but maybe don't know a tactful way to go about it or, or how mm-hmm. to do that without stepping on that conversational landmine that might accidentally inflame the conversation or, or upset that individual. Do you have mm-hmm. any tips, or we talked about patterns earlier, patterns that you've noticed conversationally that can help create some constructive outcomes? Mm-hmm. I think for most people, and often myself included, don't say the first thing that comes into your head. That hasn't been filtered yet. Myself included, definitely, you know, I'm only human. There are times where, you know, you're like, whoa, that was so presumptuous of me. So we all have those thoughts. We're all going to have those moments of assumptions, even prejudiceness. But it's how you, what you do next that tells me who you are. So the number one thing that I would say is if you're feeling activated and and activated is usually a word that's, you know, in the therapy, psychology, coaching realm, which means that you're feeling angst or the emotions are high. I would say whatever it is that you're thinking, either pause and come back to it later or write it down so it can live somewhere and then come back to it. Because chances are that how you want to talk about it when you come back to it is going to shift. Especially I think in the corporate realm and work, there's a lot of passive aggressive communications that isn't going to work for everybody. I actually personally don't think it works for anybody, but a lot of us have just gotten used to it. I don't actually think passive aggressive communication is conducive for anything. But in person, you know, let's say someone's in a meeting and they're saying something, then I would say maybe take a minute and chat with that person after rather than pausing the whole meeting and be like, FYI, it's this. Because now you're now that person is again gonna be in shame and anger and upset or even made fun of or inferior or whatever ends up showing up for them. But that's when we lose them. And so we wanna we wanna be able to have these conversations to literally learn and grow. So that would be my biggest piece of information is to pause and come back to it, pull them aside, or write it down so it lives somewhere to get it out of your head, because usually it swirls, and then we can't stop thinking about it. So if you write it down, it lives somewhere, then it can stop swirling, and then you can come back to it with perhaps a more logical mindset, or even better, an objective mindset. That's great advice. And that pause, take a moment, make sure, think that's, uh, I think, advice that everybody could use at various points in their life, for sure. I do it for myself, you know, if I always say fight fire with water. So if someone sends me a passive aggressive email, the natural human response is to respond with a passive aggressive email. So my rule for myself is if I'm activated, shut my computer. I don't even try to engage in that email. And sometimes I don't come back to that email for like a week, but I'd rather take a week to show it for my higher self than respond to that email where I am not being at my best because I am never going to stoop to someone else's low. It's a great piece of advice. On the topic of advice, I mean, the work that you do comes at such an interesting time in the history of the world, just even thinking in the last you know, year and a half or so. Um, there's been major societal movements. 
around BLM, around Stop Asian Hate, around uh, reconciliation with Indigenous communities, lots of very challenging and, and heavy topics. And firstly, I'm curious for some of the work that you do, like in my shoes, we've had a lot of our clients over the last year and a half that come to us and say, how should we respond to this or that? And it's a very, very difficult question to answer because it's kind of like, help us define our soul a little bit, right? Like how do we view these these really uh, deep topics? I'm sure there's lots of people or brands, companies that obviously reach out to you for different collaborations or perhaps just generally seek advice from you. And I'm wondering when you're dealing at the brand level, how you, I guess, A, select who aligns with your own philosophy so that you'd know who you want to be associating yourself with and, mm-hmm. and doing work with. And then secondarily, if you find yourself in a position where they're asking for advice, how that might change at the brand level versus the individual personal level. Great question. I think on the personal level, it usually is a reaction to a situation that's happened. So I typically don't engage too much because it's already in the it's already happened. I can't support as much because it's personal. Each person feels differently. Each person interprets differently. So just like with myself, take a pause. I would tell that person, message me tomorrow. Yep, I totally hear you. Get it out. But message me again tomorrow so we can address this on a personal level. On a brand level, very similar. I get a lot of calls on emergency and sort of crisis management when something has happened. And same thing, I assess and look at all the information before I engage or decide that I want to work with this client or support them. And in regards to like working with brands, I'm really big on ensuring that I work with only people that I'm 100% aligned with. And I think if anyone were to look at my Instagram page, you would scroll through and not see that, not notice what's sponsored. That's the key because everything is me. They're just by chance supporting my already strong messaging and collaborating that with what it is they're doing, whether that's a a wellness app or a product, it has to 100% align with me and so do their values. So I'm pretty selective with who I work with and who I choose. You know, I probably have a lot less sponsored posts than a lot of other quote, quote, influencers, but I prefer that. I actually don't even like to call myself an influencer, so we won't. I just happen to have uh, some, some followers on Instagram and that has somehow made it so that other brands want to support me. And the other piece I think for me is I love to give back. So I'm constantly providing and giving out things for free on my social media. So when I do sponsored posts, I think the community is more receptive to that. So that was kind of a three-part answer, <laughs> but I think I tackled them all. <laughs> yeah, no, you got it. You got it. <laughs> and you actually offered a perfect segue into my next question, which was just the idea you, you referenced alignment and values. And so ensuring that there's alignment between your own beliefs and philosophies and that of any brand that you might partner with to the degree where, you know, if somebody was looking at your feed, everything is sort of fully in sync. You would You would not know between anything that was sponsored versus your organic content, because it's all kind of intertwined. I think Absolutely. that's a great great way of uh, framing it for other content creators out there to think in those terms. I'm thinking then you, you talked about the idea of giving back. And obviously, activism has become such a huge topic across social media, and then obviously yeah. just in, in generally across the world as well. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked to you about this before, but the idea of sort of performative gestures, often at the brand level, what could be at the individual level versus sort of sustainable and real 
gestures of depth that are committed to a greater cause. Mm-hmm. That's something that is certainly a hot button topic. Mm-hmm. And lots of brands have been called out rather than called in for, for these types of matters. And it can happen at the individual level as well. So I'm wondering your thoughts on the idea of performative activism and countering that against legitimate acts of trying to advance causes of interest. The proof is in the pudding. And performative, you can feel it, see it from far away. For me, it's, is it long-term work or is it just a one-time fix? Because a one-time fix isn't possible. So if that is the energy and path that a brand or company is taking, then that tells me everything I need to know. However, long-term work also takes time. And so that's where there's this really, really, really small gray area of a company who perhaps genuinely wants to make change, but is getting started and perhaps taking longer than they had anticipated. Because then people could see that as, oh, only did one thing. What happened to this? You're performative. So at times, it can feel like a catch-22 for those companies, which ultimately speaks to the bigger problem, which is the systemic racism. Why is this only coming up now? Why did it take for George Floyd's murder for companies to actually want to have these conversations? Because none of this is new. This has been the experience of people of color, people from marginalized communities for hundreds of years. For me, it would be about honest communication. So for the company who is genuinely wanting to make the changes and it's taking longer, communicate that. Here's our plan. Here's how we're going to try to hold ourselves accountable. Here's how we're going to share with you. So that way, at least if someone were to say, oh, well, they didn't do this, they could reference that. Have it in the front page of your website. Be loud and proud so that others can see that those things are important to you. Just some examples off the top of my head. Uh, And then for the companies who are doing the one-time fix, I think they will fizzle themselves out and karma, et cetera, the community at large will wean that out pretty quickly and that'll be a crash and burn on their own. And so for me, it's, I don't have the, we don't, not everyone has the energy to quote, quote, take down these companies, but they are going to take down themselves internally because EDI and DNI is such a big topic now that even people who are potentially wanting to work at a company aren't going to, unless they see that DNI is an important value. So I think it's, in a way, working itself out for the companies that think it's a one-time fix or performative. That was a great answer. And actually, I had one last question, but you answered it in <laughs> your response already, just talking about communication, because I was going to ask you how people... So what you're saying is I'm on fire. These yeah, you're a step <laughs> ahead of me. So you had me thinking on my toes there. I actually had to just come up with something on the spot, and I've got it. So I love it. There's one last question for you, which... Yeah. Uh, It's been really enjoyable talking through these topics. And um, my last question does relate to the same sort of line of questioning, which is, I think that there will be, you mentioned two groups of people on one side, people that are very much committed to the cause and they can communicate that. They can say exactly where they're at in that process. And that can be made public versus those who might be doing something quick because it's a trend and there's no substance to it. And the end result most likely is in time that that group or individual company, whatever will fizzle. I think there's going to be situations with the first group whose intentions are pure and who want to do the right thing. And perhaps for whatever reason, there could be a variety of reasons, might not know the right way to go about it because it is a, a, a challenge. There's conversational landmines all around it. And I suppose mm-hmm. this is, we've kind of been talking about this throughout the discussion, but for those who want to do 
the right thing. For those who are interested in advancing causes that will make the world a better place for everyone, but who perhaps don't have the tools internally or are unsure of how to approach it. I mean, they could call Rhea Carey. That would maybe be the first step. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so a little plug there. You can just call Rhea. I but love it. Tease them though, Rhea. What might those individuals or companies do to tackle that? Yeah, there's a few steps that I would suggest taking first, but roughly an internal audit, you know, a pulse check survey. How are the people who are here currently experiencing this culture feel about it? That'll tell you a lot. Then from there, you know, values that the company are committing to or adding new values and having the company support and be engaged and involved in that. Hiring a consultant like myself or having creating a full-time role for something like this. And then the last one I would say is 100% training. And the training has to start at the C-suite level because for most companies, the managers and the juniors to managers are typically the more diverse parts of a lot of companies. So these are people that already have a lot of lived experience. So the training isn't as detrimental. It's important that the C-suite people, because these are the leaders, these are the people representing the company, these are the people that are supporting the people who may be going through this at the company. And on the flip side of that, leaders were never equipped with this prior. It was needed, but it wasn't talked about. So we can't expect that every leader is going to magically know how to support someone who comes to them with discrepancies or discrimination cases or racism, et cetera. So we not only have to give them the tools, but also bring them up to speed so that they understand so they can support their team and that, and then doing the rest of the company. And that's really how we can start the conversation and embed it, the company from top down the bottom up. That was great. Thank you very much. And yeah, a little mic drop moment, but I always feel a little energized after I get a chance to listen to you or in this case, uh, speak with you. So very much appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. I hope everybody listening got some wonderful lessons to take away and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. And always appreciate how uh, much feedback and sharing you give when I do the presentations. Uh, It always makes for more sharing. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. I really do. It's always a pleasure listening to you. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you for participating. To learn more about Coach Carey's philosophies, check her out at coach.carey on Instagram. And for the latest in digital marketing news and the world of technology, visit us at theinfluenceagency.com or on social at Influence Agency. We'll see you next time. 